Hey everybody, welcome to the Flexible Dieting Podcast. I'm Joe Klumzeski with Kevin Brunacini, Austin Kiergaard. Today we're going to talk about calories. Uh, wanted to break down something that seems pretty general, pretty obvious, but I think there is enough nuance here that uh, you could walk away with some some good practical information. First of all, uh, probably Austin for you, ha- being a dietitian, um, what are calories? Why do we use that as a unit of measurement? So it's measuring a unit of of heat to what what how much energy it takes to require to increase something by a degree. Um, we use that to measure energy. <clears throat> excuse me, because our body requires energy, right? Energy is all around us. We burn energy. We need energy to help burn and help drive those things. So um, that's a very simple way of explaining it, I guess. Um, I have more to add to that, but it'll be relevant, I think, later in this discussion. So that that's kind of my answer with energy. Perfect, because I would not want to get too technical. <laughs> you know, just knowing that it's a unit of, of heat transfer, that it's, you know, this is how we measure energy, just like you could measure mileage, kilometers, meters, inches, you know, those kind of things. It's just a different way of measuring that in our body. Um, I would be interested because I know there are different thoughts on this, maybe different ways it has been investigated but there is so much speculation and maybe misinformation about how many calories we truly need. You see the US uh, RDA or other government entities, when you look at nutrition fact panels, base everything on a 2000 calorie a day average. So the average adult human being needs 2000 calories a day. Looking at a broad spectrum, male to female, 18 years old to 100 years old, how does that differ in genetically the uniqueness, you know, back, back to you, Austin, in just, you know, what, what do you think a good bullseye would be if any average person is saying, hey, this is how many calories I probably need. What, what's a good academic place to at least start, even though we know it, you're not going to be, you're going to be somewhere else on that continuum? Yeah. So the reason that 2000 calories exists is because that's, that's kind of the assumption, right? Like, so everybody could start out at 2000 calories. What we know is um, things change, right? Genetics play a role. Activity plays a role. So if people are at a starting point, they can start at that 2000 calorie marker, but it brings back then some social things like what's, what's the goal? Is that a realistic amount for you to hit given your goal and your lifestyle? Um, So if someone's looking for a spot to start, they can certainly start there. Uh, the interesting thing of those 2000 calories, and we can kind of get into this here in a little bit is if you're grocery shopping and you look at like a food label, it says 2000 calories, right? You'll also notice that there's those daily percent values. And I think those can get confusing for people trying to read labels because what that means is this is how much daily percent value of these calories and of this nutrient that you need. Um, so I try to encourage people to, pay a little less attention to those percent daily values because they are very confusing for people and paying attention more to the calories and the RDAs on more of your micronutrients and on those nutrition facts, nutrition fact labels, they do have those as well. Um, Again, I can get into that or we can get into that later, but I just wanted to kind of make note of that. So to answer your question, you can start with 2000 calories, document everything you do. Is it feeling good? Is it not? Um, are you seeing results? Are you not? Because it, it can be much deeper than that, but that would be a good starting point. 
I promise I'll bring you in here in a minute, Kevin, but <laughs> to continue on with this, uh, this, this topic way back, I think in the 1920s, maybe even a little bit earlier when they were start starting to look at how to chemically measure this and things like the Harris Benedict equation were fashioned and all kinds of modifications from then. Uh, I, I think what has really stood the test of time, but this is my question to you, has it really, are there better ways to to make these assumptions? When you're talking about basal metabolic rate, so taking activity out of the equation, just kind of the average sedentary, non-exercised person, around 1,650 calories for a male, 1,350 calories for a female, those were some of the earliest versions. And, and I would argue that we were way more active back then, but just without that exercise-induced metabolic need, does that hold up to you? Because then, of course, for somebody trying to calculate this, let's, let's say an average male, um, you know, 1,650 calories, and then I would have to add in the amount of calories for intentional movement and exercise. So maybe I do get up toward 2,000. And then if I want to be in a calorie deficit, I would have to subtract that. But are there any other formulas or just textbook assumptions that are taught now about what the average true metabolism is for the two different sexes? That's a good question. So while I'm chatting with you, the answer is yes, there's a different approach. And I was just doing uh, some quick math. So there are a lot of equations, uh, Harris-Benedict, the Mifflin equation, um, and there's also like in, in, in our world, what we see is there's different calorie ranges for different uh, populations and different age groups and different weights. <clears throat> and what I mean by that is none of that plays a factor in activity. So let's say, Joe, like let's say you weigh 85 kilograms and we have you eat 25 calories per kilogram. That's 2,100 calories. So to answer your question, then no, it's probably even higher because I didn't even factor in activity. That does not assume activity at all. That's just, we look at calorie ranges, like in our clinical setting, 25 to 30 calories per kilogram with a person that's got a normal BMI is kind of a calorie range that we require. And again, I have not even discussed if that person is active. Now that is in a clinical setting, but it's also fairly relative to non-clinical setting for uh, sedentary everyday people, 25 to 30 calories per kilo. So it's going to depend on your weight um, and that has nothing to do with your activity. So if you're a bigger person, right, it's going to be a bigger calorie amount. Uh, if you're a smaller person, that's going to be a lower calorie amount. So if someone's just waking up, getting out of bed, how can I eat healthier? They could use that type of calorie range. Um, I certainly don't expect anyone to go and learn Mifflin and Harrisburg equations and, and do it that way because then the interesting thing about those equations those also don't technically take in an activity factor. So if you are increasing activity, now you have to take whatever you calculate by that activity factor. And even in a clinical setting, we would call that an injury factor, right? You might be having an amputation. I know I'm getting off topic a little bit, but I'm trying to beat home that there are so many ways to calculate calories for so many different people that it's just really hard to just say, this is the gold standard. Certainly there are equations if I'm calculating things for my clients that I use, but it's because I know that background information that I talk about in practically every episode that we've been in. So yeah, that's kind of my answer with, with other, other ways of calculating there are, and there are other ways of calculating when it's not including activity. And, and the application part of that science, because I, I just had two new clients start yesterday and that's the first step. 
they, you know, they fill out an intake form. I'm learning all this demographic information, their age, their sex, how they have uh, perhaps integrated nutrition in the past, what they've been successful with. Uh, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm looking for all of these clues because I may have that assumption of an average calorie need for that person, but I've got to find out on that continuum zero to a hundred where they may stand. And so as a qualifier, a, a good coach would always say, well, you know, Hey, this is, this is why I'm saying this is a good target for us, but, but I could be under or overestimating because I just don't know your genetics. It could, yes. could go in all kinds of different directions. So, so Kevin, one of the questions I get from clients often, <clears throat> because we we tend to very quickly break that down into macronutrients, so we're giving them some some ranges and uh, uh, more specificity for their goals. Um, protein, carbs, fat, we all have needs for those in different ways. There are quantitative and qualitative aspects to that. So first, two, two questions, two-part question. Uh, we, we all, I think probably have to start with calories. I don't just start pulling numbers out of the air. Like, well, you look like you need this much protein. I think I'll give you this much fat. It's, you know, calorie need energy balance first. And then we start breaking those down in different ways. But when a client asks you, you know, Hey, shouldn't I count calories? Do I track calories? How do you explain the difference between macronutrients and calories to them? I will say I really appreciate Austin breaking that down regarding calories. That was actually really interesting to learn that. And you know, I had conducted my or calculated my calories just off the twenty-five to thirty, and it was it's a little bit higher than what my usual calorie load would usually be. But just find that interesting. Just it's far more complicated and nuanced as you, it's not surprising to us, but it is far more complicated and nuanced than you would imagine. But um to answer the question, Joe, um I tell them that macronutrients make up the calories. So calories ultimately is what's defaulted to. So you got, you obviously got calories. That is your energy, energy balance. That is what, that's what, by what you're consuming, that's what's giving you energy. How, how those calories break down, they can go into macronutrients, which are going to be protein, carbs, or fats. Of course, those macronutrients can break down further into micronutrients and give you trace elements, minerals, et cetera, electrolytes, those further break down to give you, to give the body rather bioavailable nutrients to absorb, use, storage, et cetera. But um, there can be, for those that are new to macronutrient-based counting or just logging um, or using as a methodology for dieting and eating, it is confusing to them because they think it as two separate things, although you can track them separately. Um, if you're ultimately ca tracking calories, you're, you're always ahead of the game because that's ultimately what's going to come down to. You know, that's the, from the pyramid, if we look at the hierarchy, that is the foundational tier that we all need to respect. Um, but if we want to up it, if you will, having prioritization of, of protein, for example, would be the next step just because there is going to be some, uh, effectiveness and, uh, satiety benefits there. It's just kind of upping the game in the sense of, of, of making your meals more tight, more satiating, or going to help you with comes exercise benefits, etc. So um, that's where it gets a little bit more nuanced. For Gen Pop, it, it it eventually is going to be applicable and relevant to them, but most of the time we're just sticking sticking with calories. And then when, at least when we have a baseline calculated off some averages, that's how I like to do it. At least then we're going to inevitably go into macronutrients, separate those out based on context, preference, etc. And calculate those 
a little bit further for them and continue to fine tune as they go. Yeah. I often think that's a step some coaches miss and it's, it's, it's to the disadvantage of the client. But when I wrote my first book and was just initially starting to see clients in a formal setting, 25, 28 years ago, I had my building blocks of nutrition and the foundational level was calorie intake, energy balance. And then, as you said, it got into breaking down the macronutrients, you know, protein, carbs, fat, then up another tier was meal spacing, meal timing, and you keep going down, as you said, all the way to the top into micronutrition. Um, but if you just, you, you know, when I see clients sometimes coming from other coaches and they just say, you know, and they talk about quote numbers, you know, what are, what numbers do you want me to hit? What are my numbers? <laughs> and they they always default to protein, carbs, and fat, the macros. I like to go back to the calorie base just to get them used to that. You know, this is what we're targeting because when they leave me at some point or they're on their own, they're they're fully independent, I still want them to see that that's what matters most because when it comes to deviating, and this is something I'm getting into a little bit more for my advanced clients, I will I will give them some discretion instead of saying, okay, we're we're targeting 150 grams of carbs, 130 grams of protein, et cetera. I will say here are the, here's the calorie target we're looking at. If your protein is within these ranges and giving them a 10 to 20 gram buffer, if your carbs are within these ranges, if your fat is within these ranges, then what we we really want every day is to get the close to this target calorie range, but I want you to see that you can have some deviation for flexibility and some nuance throughout your day. And that points them back to the, the fact that energy balance is really still home base. And these macronutrients are there for a reason, but it, there's nothing magic about hitting it to the gram or within five grams. So, so um, Austin, do, do, are you doing that at all, or or do you tell clients like, hey, let's let's have this buffer zone where you're giving them some discretion? Yeah, I, I tell them that because I've worked with some pretty uh, intense Type A personalities where they're like, it's the granule of rice on the docket, and it's like, hey, that's. If you can hit that, great. It's not going to make or break you if you're off five or 10. Um, you know, if you're off 20, 30 every day, then we might see some slight differences. Uh, I also bring home, and I know we've talked about this before, I bring home the weekly calories. Like, hey, here's here's your proteins, carbs, fats. Here's your calories. Here's what that would look like in a weekly calorie range. So if you're even off one day, like something just went wrong and you corrected it the next day, and those weekly calories are still within the ranges, you know, you're still going to be okay for the most part. And if not, if something went wrong, well, we just know that there was an outlier there because it's really easy for people to just get obsessed with the calories and the map. And so I, that's why I like giving them that buffer. Like, Hey, if you're within five to 10 or 10 to 20 or whatever, like you're going to be okay. Like, you know what I mean? Like there is some flexibility here, you know what I mean? So, and it allows them also to be a little bit, uh, easier on themselves. So they don't feel like they're a failure if they were off by a little bit, because really they're not, you know what I mean? So I like to be open and honest with that conversation. So that way they feel better prepared. The expectations are better placed and they're more accepting of starting that journey. Perfect. And as a way of wrapping us up, Kevin, uh, to that point, when, when somebody is going over calorie wise like to, to, to what Austin just said, if they're over 20 or 30 grams of carbs, but yet they were down 10 or 15 grams of fat. So calorically, it still kind of was okay. It was, a, it was an okay day. There may or may not be any, any deviation in progress, but if somebody's higher by three or 400 calories, they 
kind of inadvertently hit a maintenance day. Um, do you see, and maybe how do you explain to them that biology is very threshold based? It's not always just that we hit this average and it did kind of come out with the wash, as Austin said. But if we have a couple of days that are too high, we could be refilling glycogen stores and all of a sudden, like we really did have a maintenance week. You dieted perfectly well 80% of the week. You did, but you didn't get 80% of the results. You got zero, you know, because of that metabolic switch. And it, it takes three or four days to get back to that continuum. So how often do you really see that and, and have to address it as a practitioner? It's probably the most common thing I see week to week is just clients. They don't, they don't have the greatest week or something just comes up and they just hit a maintenance, which in the grand scheme, it's better than doing the opposite and just completely regressing and binging or overeating entirely and just going in the other direction. So I like to start there in a sense of a compassionate tone of it's okay. Cause truly it is. I understand. Again, I'm gen pop, not to say it's end of the world or going to be end of the world, but you know, I'm not dealing with advanced athletes to where, you know, that it's, you know, we need that extra percentage of grit and intensity to get to that mark. But nevertheless, it's still important, but truly in this sense, it's okay. You know, a week, big deal. You know, you have 51 other weeks to, to make up for it. We'll be okay. If you want to see it like that, but if it's a pattern of consistent and they're just spinning their wheels, then okay. Then it's going to be a more in-depth conversation, probably more behavioral in the sense of what's going on to, to allow this to occur because one time is a mistake. Second time is more or less a choice. Again, that's really overstating it generally speaking, but what's going on. Let's talk about that. And that's where that's a whole other, there's, there's the next topic then Austin, but um, it's, it's a big topic at that point. The third time you're just an asshole. You know, that's the Kevin Boone. <laughs> I, I, it's two times. Second time you're an asshole. Don't push my buttons. All right, guys. Well, <laughs> Thank you guys very much. Perfect conversation on this. I, I did want to talk about something that really did. I, 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 this could be something we almost skip over, which is very foundational and, and, and important. So thank you guys. And we'll see you next time in the Flexible Dieting Podcast. Mm -hmm.